This is your coffee break. Hey friends, do I have a treat for you. I have with me Randy Wayne White, the author of the Doc Ford novels. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and I have him here on the line, and he is going to talk about writing and character development and his brand new book, Mangrove Lightning, which comes out March 21st. So welcome to the show, Randy. It's a delight, an honor. Thank you so much for calling. You have a wonderful voice, by the way. By gum, you ought to be on radio or TV. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, this is this conversation is off to a wonderful start. I love talking to writers, and I love talking to writers who love writing. You have, uh, I believe this is the 24th book in your series. Tell me a little bit about how you got started on this journey of writing. And I have your bio in front of me, and it looks like you've been through a number of very interesting jobs and positions, and so I'm just excited to hear all about you. Oh, my golly. Well, don't we all? It's my absolute conviction conviction that people who uh, love to read, who love books, are uh, by virtue of that, also writers. So, And we're all kind of weird and nerdy and goofy no matter what we look like or whatever our antecedents may be. But it is uh, Mangrove Lightning, the new book, is the 24th ser- in the series about marine biologist Doc Ford. I've also published uh, four novels about a uh, fishing woman fishing guide, a heroine named Hannah Smith, all by Putnam's, G.P. Putnam's, New York, and I've written uh, an ungodly number of thrillers <laughs> under pen names, and, and by gum, I use pen names for a reason. So I've written a lot of books, and if I can help you, I'm most pleased to chat. I actually had an episode about pen names a few weeks ago. Tell me a little bit more, and you don't have to reveal what the pen names are, but um, just tell me a little bit about why pen names. I know this is getting off the topic of mangrove lightning, but I'm, no, I'm curious. No, right on the topic. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> It is a zigzag course, is it not? And whatever star under which we might, might or may have been born, it's uh, the course is always zigzagging and strange and potentially wonderful and also a pain in the rump, excuse my language. Uh, but I was a fishing guide on Sanibel Island, the west coast of Florida, for more than 13 years, uh, 1974 uh, to about 1990, which is more than 13 years, did more than 3,000 charters, Wow. For whatever reason, I fell in love with books at a early age, grew up in rural areas, and I believe, no, I hope that if I could write a book, perhaps I could become part of the magic I found and still find in books. Mm-hmm. So while I was a fishing guide, uh, with rare exception, I was in the water of 300 days a year or more. In my spare time, I worked very hard at writing and trying to learn the craft, and it is a craft. And... Um, had a big break when Rolling Stone magazine founded a magazine called Outside Magazine. That was in 1977, I believe. Uh, they, Rolling Stone Outside had an incredible stable of writers, Tom McGuane, mm-hmm. Jim Harrison, Edward Abbey, Hunter S. Thompson, Peter Matheson, and just a beautiful magazine. And I sent them a story over the transom, which is perhaps a term no longer used. <laughs> It's where you just simply type out a story, send it to a magazine, and nobody knows you from God knows what. <laughs> and someone read that story, and the editor at that time, Terry McDonald, who went on to become editor of Sports Illustrated, Esquire, and some others, hosted Saturday Night Live, called me at my marina, Sarah. Oh, my lunch, gosh. The only time, only time they could reach us. And, said, and Terry's a very rough guy, still is, and said, 
you wrote the story, we can't use this. And I said, oh, gosh, well, thanks for calling. <laughs> he said, no, you don't understand. I want you to try something else. And I published a story in the first year that Outside uh, existed. Uh, and much thanks to that, the cachet related to Outside and Rolling Stone, I received a call from a New York paperback editor. And uh, she said, we're going to start a series, a uh, thriller series about a uh, Key West charter boat captain, and we know you live in Key West, and you're a charter boat captain. Well, of course, I don't live in Key West, but I played along and said, yeah, boy, the sunsets are great down here. <laughs> and she said, we're going to come out with four thriller novels, same character, but we want four different writers because we really want to produce a lot of these. Can you write try, you know, two sample chapters, but it's got to be within the next two weeks. And Sarah, in nine days, I wrote the entire book. <laughs> uh, on an old stand-up typewriter, and I've never used drugs. And that's the truth. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to start these days. <laughs> we sent it to uh, Joni Hitzig, was her name, New American Library, and she called me back a bit, a, a bit stunned, and she said, "Do you think you can do this again?" I went, "Heck yes!" And she fired the other three writers, and uh, I wrote a series of seven thrillers under the name, and I don't mind revealing the name because the books have been brought back out. God help me, uh, under the name Randy Stryker. Now, isn't that a clever name by gum? And uh, I wrote seven of those, and another New York editor uh, called me, and another thriller series. I wrote 11 of those. Oh, my gosh. On that old black stand-up typewriter. I was a fishing guide. And those are also back in print. And thanks to my uh, incredible agent, Esther Newberg at ICM, I'm getting paid for them, which... <laughs> it's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> just hilarious anyway so that's how i uh, came to write so many books i love it what gives you the energy to write so many books i know some writers who are nice and prolific i also know a lot of writers who struggle to even get one book done in a, in a number of years so i guess you don't have a secret but i'm just curious how you do it or how you see that you do it well the struggle uh for me never ends it's never gotten easier mm. and uh, it is always uh, some famous journalist in, I think, the 30s said writing is easy. You just sit at the typewriter until you begin to sweat blood. <laughs> and uh, That has not changed for me. So none of the books are easy, but um, the best advice I can give young writers or old writers. And when it comes to writing, there really is no age. That's mm -hmm. the great thing. We can we can send in a young photograph of ourselves. People, editors, <laughs> they don't care what color you are, where you come from, your gender, etc., and, and whether you went to college or not. If you can produce readable um, material and 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 gather uh, a following of, of readers, so uh, the best advice I can give anyone is be relentless. Go, if there is a secret to writing successfully, whatever successfully means, it's this. You go into a room alone, and you close the door, and you leave behind the people about whom you care most, your loves, your buddies, the fun things you could be doing, and you turn off the darn internet, hmm. your yes. phone, and you do your work without excuse. With rare exception, I write seven days a week. It's what I do. That is so inspiring. I know that you are um, you are a very inspiring person to writers, young and old, aspiring and maybe published. And I absolutely love that. Why are you so passionate about getting other people to write? Imagine this, if you will, and your listeners as well. Imagine this. Your great-great-grandmother or your great-uncle had written one honest 
page about their lives. What a treasure. Mm. We vanish so quickly. When I say we, I mean collectively as individuals. But as individuals, the lives we live, the lives we will and have lived, are extraordinary by virtue of being filtered through our own senses as writers. Um, in my estimation, it, it, is, it is an absolute rocket sled of a life. And to pass up the opportunity to come as closely as we can to capturing on paper that which is important to us, it's a, it's a treasure potentially lost if we don't write. So I urge people to write. I would echo that, and you just said it so beautifully. Thank you for saying that. I would love to hear uh, what you're allowed to say about Mangrove Lightning, which is the latest book that you have coming out here March 21st. What can you tell us about it? Well, it's the 24th in a series about marine biologist Doc Ford, who's a, uh, a very linear, pragmatic, decent guy, I would like to think, although he has some unusual... Well, I would say black ops skills and some unusual black ops background. Uh, his, the other protagonist is a unashamed, unrepentant, boat bum hipster named Tomlinson, who um, is a Zen Buddhist, uh, an ordained Zen Buddhist Renzai monk, not unlike my great friend, the brilliant writer Peter Matheson. And Tomlinson is purely spiritual, empathetic, nonlinear. And these two characters, one pragmatic, the other spiritual, play off each other, I hope, well, well, the books have done very well, so I suspect <laughs> readers, at least some readers would agree. And those two cerebral components in, in us, Sarah, well, I can only speak for myself, those two cerebral components, the pragmatic, the linear, the wistful spiritual, are always at odds in me. It's a kind mm. of death man. And it's true of all 24 books in these, between these two characters. And the ultimate question is, in this death dance, which does one out, the spiritual or the tough, pragmatic linear? It's a um, it's conundrum, is it not? Mm-hmm. So in Mangrove Lightning, Doc Ford and Tomlinson uh, set off on what could be viewed as a very dark, uh, mysterious uh, adventure. And it is based on a true story that occurred in Florida in 1924 and 1925. South Florida was a wild place, as wild as the Wild West, perhaps more so. But gaining access to this region at that time was very tough. So essentially no writers came and wrote about these, mm-hmm. what we call Florida cow hunters. Out west they would call them cowboys. In 1925, Marco Island, Florida, which is heavily populated now, I suspect here, listeners, some of whom at least are familiar with Marco Island on the west coast of Florida, heavily populated now. 1925, only 200 people lived there, homesteaders, during Prohibition, and mostly, many of them were rum runners. They would sail their boats to Cuba, come back with illegal rum, and they would make moonshine, sometimes called white lightning. In Florida, it was called mangrove lightning. Uh-huh. So that's the reason for the title. And in 1925, a deputy sheriff in that county caught some uh, rum runners, uh, tried to arrest him. They beat him up badly. They threatened him. And the week before the trial, the deputy sheriff, his wife, his infant son, and young daughter all vanished. Hmm. They couldn't testify. That's a true story, absolutely true story. But also, mangrove lighting also has to do with smuggling illegal Chinese into Florida. 
mm. Cuba. And uh, those two historical components, Prohibition, South Florida, smuggling Chinese, um, are all interwoven in this book. That is fascinating. Something else that sticks out to me is Doc Ford's Rum Bar and Grill. Is... I'm, I own the franchise. I'm partners in three incredible restaurants, Doc Ford's Rum Bars and Grills. They're gourmet sports bars, and it's a so, sort of shameless commercial franchise <laughs> wanted, wanted to be involved with. <laughs> I love but, it. Uh, I would also counsel writers and aspiring writers to uh, keep in mind the financial monetary expedient. Uh, I did not go into writing to make money, mm. uh, but I have two sons, two young sons at the time when I wrote my first Doc Ford novel, 1990, it was that um, we should have something to fall back on because it is a vocation, occupation without a safety net. So I'm so curious, did the book come first? Did the restaurant come first? Oh, no, the books came way in advance. Way in advance, no. okay. Wait, wait. First, my first Doc Ford novel was published in 1990, Sandoval Flats. It got very limited, but incredible reviews. Uh, published by St. Martin's Press. I don't, no one knows how many copies were printed. Maybe, maybe 2,000 hardback copies. Um, I couldn't give the darn book away. Oh. <laughs> but, now, but now those hardback copies, one recently sold on eBay for $2,700. Oh my so gosh. It's Look up if you're you have access to most collectible books. Uh, Sandoval Flats is always one of the very most collectible books. It was chosen as one of the hundred uh, best mysteries of the 20th century by the Independent Mystery Booksellers Association of the United States, or maybe the UK and the US. I don't know, but it's very collectible. No, I couldn't give the damn book away. <sighs> wow. But then, no, but so the restaurants did not come around until. 23 years later, and, uh, and I became an overnight success after <laughs> many novels and, and, and uh, again, the zigzag course of history. That's fascinating. That course of history, do you credit a lot of that to sort of fate, if you will, or to your own sort of, I think you mentioned earlier, relentlessness? Well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely devoted to my craft. Mm-hmm. I am a, I'm a worker. I realized early on I have no control whatsoever over my intellect. Jeez, I wish I could <laughs> or my or my talent and my antecedents, my background. I didn't go to college, as I tell folks. I went to high school in Iowa, so there's really no need to go along. <laughs> but I did realize that I have total control over my work ethic. Total control. And and I and that's what I do. I, I work very hard at writing, take it seriously, and uh, and there is there has never been an easy day as a typewriter. Oh my gosh, I agree with that. As we're talking about no easy days and creating complex plots and creating enough plots for 24 books, I feel like there's a lot of questions that I have surrounding that. But first and foremost in my mind is, what makes for a good story? You know, uh, my wonderful editor at Putnam's, Neil Nyren, who is, I hate to use the word icon because it's, icon has become almost like the word like. It's just a throwaway, (laughs) pointless word. Neil Nyren is a very famous and accomplished editor. And as Neil told me early on, I actually asked him, why in the world did you 
choose to publish my books. <laughs> and he said, you know, when uh, I buy a series, and they do, they buy writers, mm. not just one book, and the, and the potential for a series. When I buy a series, the, the, I have to read and get to know characters I would really like to spend time with. Mm. So it's, it's character-driven. And uh, I will occasionally watch. I don't. I have not had a television since 1981. It's not because I'm a snob. It's because I, I'm a sap. I would spend all my time watching Andy Griffith and The Wheel of Fortune, all these stupid shows. But, but when I watch films, particularly uh, series, usually British series, if there is not more than one likable character in the series, I'm not going to pursue it. And I think the same is true of novels, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, when I started saying about flats, and it's true of books now, actually 50-some books later, I start with characters, and I do detailed bios of, I mean, very detailed of all the primary characters and even the secondary characters. I mean, I get to know the characters, and it's my iceberg theory. that, And also whatever research uh, involved with the setting in the novel, if I know those things so well um, and write with them, write about them with such confidence. The reader sees the tip of the iceberg and the rest is implied. That's my hope, I believe. So I start with characters. In terms of plot, I wish I could I wish I could outline. I wish I could do that. I simply do not. I start with characters. I start with one um, incident or episode. And then follow the characters uh, through the through their lives. And there have been occasions when I knew the ending, a, a blessed, blessed uh, advantage if one knows the ending. Usually I do not. And the characters, I try to follow, follow them faithfully. And I wish I could offer a more practical approach, but that's the way I approach it. I appreciate that you said that. I talk to a lot of writers, and I feel like they all say, well, you absolutely have to have an outline. And they're hard for me as well. I'm not an organized person. I tend to be just fly by the seat of my pants creative. And so I, I really appreciate you saying that. Well, you know, not having a plot line does not mean you're disorganized. Not writing five or six or seven days a week might be a red flag. I want to pass judgment. But there, there's, there's much to be said for following with faith and confidence one's character. But uh, you must, I must do that almost daily because if I don't, I lose touch with the mood, the voice, and the reality of the characters. But if you follow your characters faithfully, a conclusion will come. Either that or you're freaking run out of paper. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to have faith in your characters. What do you do on a book tour? This is a selfish question, and I'm just curious because I have no idea. Oh, they're a hoot. (laughs) <laughs> so much easier than writing. Oh my God! Oh, that, 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 um, uh, in earlier years, I Putnam's would I would do sometimes a five week, hundred and fifty city book tour. That wow! That that that's that's quite wearing. Uh, it's uh, a car picks you up in the morning, you get in a plane, car picks you up, you go to a hotel. If you're lucky, after doing four or five drop ins, uh, you go to a hotel. Maybe you have time to shower. <laughs> and then you go to a formal event. Usually there's a formal event at, uh, around 1 p.m., then another at 7. And if you're very lucky, you get back to the hotel in time before 10 a.m., before 10 p.m., which, as I know, the restaurants close. Uh, but uh, now I do 
at the most two, two and a half, three week tours. And I get to meet people who are kindreds. And uh, uh, my view of writing is this. It is the purest, purest form of, uh, it's almost like Star Trek, the Vulcan mind connection. Mm-hmm. It's one, one lone voice on paper connecting directly to the reader's mind. And that connection, it can be very powerful. So I meet people who are kindreds and the continual and unavoidable regret of book tours is I never have time to really Hmm. get to know anyone because it's one person after another after another. But it's very heartening, uh, flattering, and uh, books will not pass the way of vinyl albums, CDs, and cassette tapes. They will not. That connection is much too powerful. So um, their their work, I have to pretend like I'm nice all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and boy, that can take some starch out of me. Uh, but uh, the people I meet, particularly people who uh, have been or are ill or who who my books have take, have helped through a tough time, which they share with me, mm. or in Afghanistan or Iraq, it's helped some uh, woman or, or man, uh, soldier serving our nation. It's, my golly, it's, it's, it's just, it's worth it. That is incredible. And I'm glad that you get to do that. I hope that you still enjoy them as much as you used to. And I hope that you continue to enjoy them for a long time. I expect I will, barring a plane crash. Good. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> Favorite book that you would recommend to an aspiring writer? That I've written? Oh, either. Yeah, that you've read or written. I think Stephen King wrote the best book I've ever read about writing. It was the most honest book. And um, sadly, I've forgotten the title. I, I think uh, it's called On Writing. Is that... Is that the one you're thinking of? That is, that's the book. Oh, it's and, so good. And I've never met Mr. King. He lives in Florida. He's a Red Sox fan. I've played baseball many years. Bill's Spaceman Lee, Hall of Fame pitcher for the Red Sox, is, is if not my best friend, pretty close. And we've played baseball all, you know, Cuba all over the place. And uh, uh, he claims to be the model for my character, Thomas, <laughs> and I will not argue that point. Uh, but um, I've never met Mr. King, but that is the best book I've ever read about writing. Most of them are, well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to criticize somebody for uh, doing what they do. To read, to start with a book I've written, I've written a number of nonfiction books, which were actually my favorites. They're collections of nonfiction pieces published in Outside Magazine, Men's Journal, National Geographic Adventure, Playboy. Uh, I like those stories. If they're was one novel, a recent novel, that I would recommend. It's a novel I wrote called Seduced, which came out in March. It's about a woman fishing guide named Hannah Smith. And I love that book. And I love Hannah's southern voice. My maternal family is from Richmond County, uh, North Carolina, Forest County in North Carolina. And growing up listening to my uh, adored uh, late mother, Georgia Wilson, and my wonderfully hilarious and crazed aunts and uncles uh, to capture that southern female strong independent voice uh, these women uh, and I have seven aunts or aunts however you say that seven yeah none of whom no one did graduate from high school worked in the cotton mills mm. 
and to listen to those women uh, converse on the porch on a North Carolina summer night, uh, they are, and they were and are articulate and mm. smart. And they didn't need to go to high school because they read books. And these women did not and do not brook fools mm. lightly. So uh, to capture that voice, and I hope I did in the Hannah Smith series, particularly seduced, uh, based on, again, some, some, some real historical events in Florida. Uh, I like that book very much. I love that. And I would suggest that. Wonderful. I'll make sure that I provide a link to that in the show notes for today's episode. I will also be linking to Randy's website and maybe a few other things as well. Do you have a favorite social media platform that you use slash don't use slash are forced to use? Sarah, you're talking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a, uh, I do do Facebook because my, uh, my wonderful agent insists I do. I'm a very private person, but uh, one thing about Facebook, I, I it's involved, but I, I, I have this uh, huge acreage in central Florida, and I put out game cameras. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Have, sorry, not to interrupt yeah. you, but I, I was just yeah. on your Facebook page. Okay. And, and, and I capture these incredible wildlife scenes, and, and, I, and I share them, and that I do very much enjoy, but in terms of linking, et cetera, et cetera, um, yeah. Type in, type in my name on the internet. Hard to say, easy to spell, Randy Wayne White. You'll find out more than you care to know. Uh, <laughs> the book I referenced, Seduced, uh, about fishing guide Hannah Smith. Hannah's story picks up in the new novel, Mangrove Lightning. Oh. Uh, for better or worse, possibly tragic. And, and you know, um, uh, you as a writer, you know, we come to embrace our characters. And they are as a lot Mm-hmm. Anyways, Hannah's story continues in mangrove life. Randy, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you again for your time and your wisdom and your, your love of writing. This is wonderful. It's been fun. Thanks, Sarah. 